Well, good morning, High Point. So good to have all of you joining us here in person. And of course, those who are joining us online, we're glad that you're here. I have a couple of announcements I'd like to make before we get started uh, this morning. I want to remind you all that hold membership here at High Point that we have our annual business meeting that is scheduled for next Sunday at 5 p.m. That's Sunday, March the 28th. They'll be right here in the sanctuary. I want to say, and I need to say, we really need you to come out for this. This is a meeting where we address the church business from the previous year, as well as where we're going to be voting for two uh, board positions. A letter went out to you explaining if you happen to be one of those individuals who is still uncomfortable gathering together, and that might be some who are watching online right now, that uh, we can still, and we're going to do like we did last year, we're going to offer drive-up voting where you can come between, come here to the church between the hours of 3 and 5 at our west parking lot where you will be signed in and you can cast your vote. We also uh, provided a link in that letter for those of you who do that can go home and you can watch the proceedings online from the comfort of your home. Uh, so we really need you, uh, both those who are doing drive up and those who are physically going to come, we really need you to be here. We need to have a quorum. If we don't have a quorum, we will have to reschedule it. And because of uh, bylaw restrictions and how much notice we have to give you, that would push it off for another month. We really don't want to do that. We'd like to get this taken care of. And uh, so hopefully you will all make a huge effort to be here next Sunday at 5 o'clock. Uh, also, in that letter that we sent you, we asked if you had any questions for the board to submit those uh, in writing, and today was the time we wanted you to have those questions in by. Now, that's not to say you can't ask questions at the board meeting or the business meeting. You can. The reason we ask for them in advance in writing is because you may be asking something that we have to find an answer for, and we may not be able to give it to you at that meeting. That's the purpose for doing that. But uh, today would be the deadline for getting those questions in writing. You can get them into us today. That would be great. Also, on a very sad note, Eunice Morris, one of our uh, members of our church family, passed away this week. Uh, there's going to be a memorial service right here at High Point on Wednesday morning at 10 a.m. Uh, I'd like you to keep Eunice's family in your prayers. I met with her son and her daughter uh, uh, earlier this week, and uh, that's when we planned when we were going to have the service. But keep them in your prayers. It's always hard when you lose a parent but also keep the rest of the family in mind. And, and I want to encourage you to come out on Wednesday and show your support for Eunice's family. Um, it, it's sometimes uh, sad when we do funerals and very few people show up because then the family's wondering, you know, did, did my family member have an impact on anybody? When I know clearly they did, but I realize we're all busy. We got things going on. I know people work. But if you can make it on Wednesday morning at 10, that would be awesome. And so we can show support for her family. Today, we are going to complete our end time series where we have been looking at what the Bible has to say about living in the, in the last days. Our study has been uh, driven by Mark chapter 13 in Mark's gospel where Jesus was asked by his disciples, what are the signs of the last day? And he answered them. He said that there would be earthquakes, or excuse me, there would be wars and there would be rumors of wars. He said there would be famine and pestilence, there would be earthquakes. There will be those who come along and say that they are Christ, and there are going to be others that are going to come around that are going to lead many people astray with great deception. And Jesus said that we, the closer we get to the last days, the more of these kinds of things will happen. And he uses an example of birth pains to make his point. When a mother is giving birth, 
It begins with contractions that are infrequent, and though I've never experienced it, I assume somewhat less mild. (laughs) But they are signs that the baby is coming, and the closer she gets to giving birth, those contractions get increasingly painful and much more frequent. Well, Jesus says that's exactly the way it's going to be in the last days. All these things that he warns about will happen with more frequency and they will happen with greater intensity and they will all be signs to show us that his return is near. We followed that by looking at the next major thing on God's prophetic calendar, which is the rapture of the church. The rapture of the church is when in an instant, as the Bible says, in a twinkling of an eye, Every follower of Christ Jesus will instantaneously be taken from this earth. And in addition to that, the bodies of everyone who had previously died that were in Christ Jesus, well, their bodies will resurrect and will be joined together with their spirit. And as I talked about the rapture, I tried to make it very clear that there really isn't any signs that are left to occur in order for this event to happen. It could literally happen at any moment. And it will be a joyous moment for everyone who is in a redemptive relationship with Christ Jesus as we are plucked out of this earth and as we are taken to heaven. But make no mistake about it, the rapture will be horrible for those who are left behind, for those who did not know Jesus and are left on this earth because the rapture of the church will usher in a seven-year period known as the tribulation as well as the uh, one-world ruler who is referred to as the Antichrist. And we spent an entire week talking about the Antichrist, his characteristics, how he will be this great orator, this great communicator. He will arrive on the scene as a real problem solver. He will bring peace between the nations and he will even have a uh, agreement with Israel whereby they too will experience peace for the first time in their long history. But an event happens at the halfway point of this seven year period that turns everything on a dime, and it's referred to as the uh, abomination of desolation. It's when the Antichrist enters the temple in Jerusalem, and he sets himself up to be worshiped as God. It's called the abomination of desolation because it is an abomination to our Lord. And it is the turning point from where it goes from being the tribulation to what we would refer to as the great tribulation where there will be unparalleled demonic activity and a time of calamity unlike the world has ever seen. It is described in Mark chapter 13, verse 19. It says, For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And the reason that the great tribulation will literally become a horrifying time for all those who are left behind isn't just due to the demonic activity that will be happening, but in addition to that, there is going to be a span of judgments from God himself sent to this earth and those living in it who denied him. And these judgments are literally cataclysmic in nature. Last week, we went through 21 different judgments from God. 
There are seven judgments known to as the known as the seal judgments, S-E-A-L. And what I want you to think of is in the olden days, if somebody sent a letter or a document and they poured hot wax and it was sealed with a, with a king's royal seal, well, imagine a scroll being opened with a seal. And each time that seal is broken, it leads to a different judgment upon the earth and those inhabiting the earth after the rapture takes place. We also covered the seven trumpet judgments. And each one of those judgments is initiated by an angel blowing a trumpet, and then the judgment is passed out. We also covered what are known as the seven bowl judgments. Uh, these judgments are initiated by an angel dumping or, or, or dumping the contents out of the bowl, pouring out judgment upon the earth. And as we looked at all of them last week, it became co very clear how devastating these judgments really are. They're very difficult for us to even comprehend, to kind of wrap our minds around, and they happened in rapid-fire succession. And I, and I want to say something here that I didn't say at the first service that I think is very important. <clears throat> and we, we went through the different judgments and the three different types, but we don't know that those happened in specific order. I, I tend to believe that these things happened all different times, that they were coming one right after another, and, and, and we don't even know if, if it was all the bold judgments that went, all the trumpets. I think it could have been mixed up, but the, nonetheless, there were judgments that were sent out on the earth that were horrific. And we talked about them, and there were things such as wars and hunger with one-third of the population being killed by sword and by famine and, and by the plague. There were judgments of earthquakes. In fact, it seemed like everyone involved in an earthquake. The sky turning black. The moon was turning blood red. There were global storms with, with peals of thunder and lightning and fire. At one point, it said a third of the earth's vegetation and all of the earth's grass was destroyed. A meteor falling into the ocean the size of a mountain, as, as John uh, 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 described it. And eventually, all marine life in the, in the ocean dies. A great star that fell from heaven that contaminated the freshwater sources. One third of the moon and the stars turning black. Severe hailstorms, where at one point the scripture said hailstones that weighed 100 pounds, if you can imagine that. It talked about locusts like, like who, were, who were stinging like scorpions, who for five months would sting and torture those, all those who had taken the mark of the beast. It talks about plagues of, of, of smoke and fire and sulfur killing one-third of the population of the earth that was left. There was mention of, of festering sores on people's bodies and mentions of the sun scorching the earth and those inhabiting it. And a final earthquake unlike anything that humankind has ever seen before, where the mountains are leveled, where the seas are, are no more, the islands are gone, the earth's topography is completely changed and decimated. And at this point, while the sun's light is going out, the kings and the leaders of the world have, have gathered in the Megiddo Valley of Israel. It is a place that is, that is known as Armageddon, and they have gathered there with the ultimate goal of fighting against our Lord. And it's at this point when King Jesus arrives in his second coming. He comes to defeat the Antichrist. He comes to destroy evil, to establish his millennial kingdom. In other words, he's coming to set things straight. 
He is coming to settle all accounts. In Mark's gospel, Jesus tells his disciples about his ultimate return when he says this in chapter 13, verses 24 through 27. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great glory, with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. <clears throat> now at this point, I think it is very important and necessary to say that not only did Jesus predict his second coming, you will find it mentioned many times back in the Old Testament. Keep in mind, these were prophesied even before Christ's first coming when he was born of the Virgin Mary. Also, keep in mind the term second coming is used in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament, it is referred to as the day of the Lord. And we could literally spend a big chunk of time this morning going verse after verse of the Old Testament prophesying Christ's return. But instead, I want to provide you with a sampling that offers details of Jesus' second coming. And, and I think you'll see that they, are descri they describe very much the same conditions and use very much the same terminology that is written in the New Testament. Scriptures such as Daniel 7, 13, and 14. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Isaiah 13, 9 through 10. See, the day of the Lord is coming, a cruel day, the wrath and fierce anger to make the land desolate and destroy the sinners within it. The stars of heaven and their constellations will not show their light. The rising sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. Joel chapter 2, verses 30 and 31. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Zechariah 14, 3 through 6. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights on a day of battle. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley with half of the mountain moving north and half moving south. You will flee by my mountain valley, for it will extend to Azel. And you will flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord, my God, will come, and all the holy ones with him. On that day, there will be neither sunlight nor cold, frosty darkness. So Jesus' second coming should come as no surprise to anyone who has spent any time in the Scriptures, either Old or New Testament. It is a foregone conclusion. And as we've grown in our knowledge over the past several weeks, as to what is argu arguably the pinnacle of all human history, this is how history ends. 
I want to go back to Mark chapter 13, verse 24. But in those days, after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. So when we ended last week, the great armies of the world had gathered at Armageddon while the earth is in a rumbling state of upheaval. There's this gigantic earthquake going on, and it is pitch black because the sun is not shining any longer. I just want you to think of what a shocking, equilibrium-distorting kind of moment that is. Could you imagine being in pitch darkness with the earth shaking like it's never, ever shaken before? I mean, that would, be, that would be bad enough if you could see what was going on, but you can't see anything. It would be nothing but sheer terror. And I want you to notice uh, what Luke 21, verses 25 through 27 says. It describes it this way. It says, There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. And on earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. I want you to notice the use of the words in that scripture, words like anguish. That word is only used one other time in the New Testament. The words like perplexity and terror are only used this time in the New Testament. But what I want to point out to you is so great is the terror, so great and so unique is the fear at that moment that God even uses unique words to describe it. And it's not over what is going to happen. It is over what is happening when the sun goes dark, when the moon goes dark, when the planets are are shaken. We're not just talking about an earthquake here. We are talking about a solar system quake going on. And when that happens, people will have heart attacks. The scriptures say their hearts will fail them out of fear. I want to go back to what I read last week in Revelation chapter 6, verses 12 through 17. I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red, and the stars in the sky fell to earth as figs drop from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. No one is exempt here. They called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can withstand it? You know, one of the differences between the rapture of the church that happened instantaneously and in the twinkling of an eye is in Jesus' second coming, there is such a sustained presentation of his glory. It is so frightening that people actually have the time to wish that they were dead. And everyone who is on the face of this pitch black earth 
we'll see his coming. Zechariah 14, verse 5 through 7. Then the Lord my God will come, and all the holy ones with him. On that day there will be neither sunlight nor cold, frosty darkness. It will be a unique day, a day only known to the Lord, with no distinction between day and night. When evening comes, there will be light. So before Jesus comes to correct the darkness, he comes like always as a light of the world. And as I've said, everyone will see him. When he comes, it's going to be dark. The lights are out, which is a sign of judgment in and of itself. Because if you'll recall, while Jesus was on the cross, the sun went dark between noon and 3 o'clock p.m. The sun failed. This time, however, there is the judgment of darkness that is pierced by his brilliance, by his light. He comes as the king of kings with a multitude of angels accompanying him. He comes to, in his brilliant Shekinah glory, which will shine brighter than the sun ever dreamed it could shine. In Mark 13, 26, it says, And they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Why is he coming in the clouds? Because that's the way he left. If you will recall in Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, it says this. After he, Jesus said this, he was taken up before their very eyes. This is when he ascended to heaven. And a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white, must have been angels, stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go to heaven. It's prophecy being fulfilled. But I want you to really think about the last part of Mark chapter 13, verse 26. And they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power, it says, and glory. We all know that Christ has great power. But in this specific moment, he has the power to put creation, what he created, into chaos and then to reorganize it. He has the power to reconfigure the earth and to restore it in a millisecond to its pre-flood paradise-like state. It is an unbelievable power. It is an amazing power. He has the power to bind Satan. He has the power to destroy the Antichrist and the false prophet. He has the power to crush the armies of the world. Think of it. All that military might of the world has gathered together to confront him, but it does not matter because he, at his command, everything that he has put out of order can be put immediately back into order, and not just back into order, but better than it was before. Ladies and gentlemen, when you see the craziness that is going on in our world right now, and you may even sometimes fear what the future holds for us, when you worry about the godlessness that, that abounds in our day and the fact that it seems like very few people in the public eye believe like you do, and those who are creating laws and those who are making policies do so with absolutely no consideration whatsoever for what is moral, what is proper, or what is godly, you 
remember this one thing. Our Lord is all-powerful, and he will set things straight. He will settle all accounts. He will make sure that justice is served, and he will bring all things back to order. Now remember, it's dark, and he comes. It says he comes in glory. And you've got to understand his glory, it constitutes so many things. But in the scripture, often his glory is, is expressed in light. The fullness of who he is, is is displayed in his light. The scriptures say that he brings light into darkness. And that's literally what he is doing at this moment of time when he arrives. Do you remember when Moses was sent up on the mountain to receive the tablets of stone from God in the book of Exodus chapter 34? It says that when he returned from that moment in the presence of God, that his face was radiant. Now some say that his beard turned white. I don't know if that happened, but that's how it's, it's spelled out. But he was so changed that they were afraid to approach him, to get near him. That's what happens simply by being in the presence of God's light. Do you remember when Paul was blinded by the light in Acts chapter 9? It was at that moment when Jesus, the voice of Jesus, spoke to him and gave him an entirely new mission for life. Prior to that, he was the greatest persecutor of the, the early New Testament church. After that, he became the greatest force in church history. But the light from heaven literally blinded him for days. That is how bright the light of Christ shines. But it's not just the, the literal light that surrounds him. It's the grace. It's the magnificence. It, it is the, the majesty. It is the glory. It is the wonder. It, it is the awe. And, and all those attributes, we still don't even know about him because we can't even put them into words. We can't even put them into human context. All that he is and all that he does literally emanates all of his brilliance. So you have the, the armies of angels that are attending to him, and you have the hosts of saints who are accompanying him, and he comes with authority, and he comes with power, and he comes with blinding light, and he's displaying power even as he moves closer to the, to the surface of this earth, and it literally defies human description. It literally defies human understanding. And when you read all of this, and as I was reading it this week, uh, you, you really can't even put it into human terms exactly what his power and his glory and his majesty will look like. It's impossible for me to even try to describe it other than get excited about it. You cannot put all that in a box and, and, and somehow think you have a real understanding of his majesty because it is unlike anything that we have ever experienced before or ever will experience outside of the cross, this is arguably the, the, the greatest of all moments in human history. The king comes. And Revelation talks about the kingdoms of the world, but what you've got to understand is they shall all become the kingdoms of Christ. He shall rule forever and ever. Praise God. Now, Revelation 19.11 opens this way. I saw, <clears throat> excuse me, heaven standing open. Let me stop here and say, this is the second time in Revelation that it says 
the heavens open. The first time was in Revelation chapter 4, and that was to let John in. Now it's open to let Jesus out. The first time it shows us what was going to happen. The second time it opens to let the saints and the armies of angels who accompany King Jesus as he reclaims the earth as his. He comes to reclaim his creation. And it's interesting that John, who of course is the one who receives this, this revelation from God that is written in the book of Revelation, is the same John whose gospel account begins with this in John 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We know the Word to be Jesus Christ. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Do you see what I mean? He's coming back for what's his. He made it. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Down to verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, get this, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Listen, Jesus is coming to take back what is his. You are his, I am his, this earth belongs to him, and he's coming to reclaim it all. Revelation 19.11 says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. The first time Jesus came, he came in peace. He came in love. He exhibited the love of the Father. He showed us how to live. He showed us a way to salvation so that we could eternally be in God's presence. But now he comes as a conquering king. Notice that it says he is called faithful and true. What does that mean? It means that he keeps his promises. He keeps his word. His word is true. Jesus said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word will never pass away. In Matthew's gospel, in the New King James, it says every jot and every tittle. I love that. It means that every stroke of the pen is true. It is just. God keeps his word. He said he would come again, and he will come again because he is faithful and true. But make no mistake about it. For those who are left behind, those who are left on this earth who do not know him and do not love him, this first time he came gently and he came meek as a lamb, this time he comes as a warrior king, as a lion from the tribe of Judah. He comes as a conqueror, the scriptures say, bent on conquest, and he will govern with a rod of iron. He is the king of kings, and he is coming to reclaim his kingdom. <clears throat> Revelation 19:12 His eyes are like blazing fire. What does that mean? In other words, I believe what it means is nothing escapes his notice. He sees everything. If you go back to Revelation chapter 2 and 3, and he writes the letters to the churches, every prophecy that he gives to each one of those churches, he says, "I know." He comes to reclaim creation. And he knows everything. He has seen everything. He knows the condition of everyone's hearts toward him. 
He knows every sin, every action, every atrocity. He's heard every blasphemous word that's been spoken against him. He knows what they are thinking. He knows who are his. He knows who are not his. He knows everything because he sees everything. Revelation 19.12 also says his eyes are not just like a blazing fire, but on his head are many crowns. That means he has all authority. Every kingdom of this world and all the authority and the majesty that is attached to that is now his. He is the rightful king. He is the only king. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the king who rules in righteousness. Can somebody say amen? amen. Revelation 19, 12. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. And then this, he has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. What does that mean? What don't you understand about no one knows but himself? Do you think I have insider information on this? I don't. No one knows but himself. But I do think what that entails is that our God is so great. He is, he is, he is so awesome. He is so majestic. He is so full of splendor. He is so glorious. He is so powerful that we've only begun to grasp just the tip of the iceberg as to his majesty, and we couldn't even begin to put it into words if we understood it all. Thus, a name that no one knows but he. We can't even articulate it in human terms. We could not put a title to it. So let's just say that this is a summary of his eternal greatness, and we'll spend all of eternity trying to understand that name. Day after day, moment by moment, as his grandeur, as his majesty unfolds before us, we will see the glory of God for what it is. And we will continually be amazed. We will continually be captured by the awe of his creative greatness and his awesome power and his amazing love. And we will worship him. And the reason we will worship him, and Chris talked about praising him this morning, the reason we will worship him because it's the only thing that we will know what to do while standing in his presence. If you think that heaven is going to be boring in any way, shape, or form, you got to recalibrate your thinking because it's going to be the most amazing thing you have ever experienced in your life and because moment by moment, we are going to continually be overwhelmed by his awesome greatness. In Revelation 19, 13, it says, he is dressed in a robe, dipped in blood. That symbolizes battle and his name. The Word of God, of course, we know that to be Jesus. And listen to what 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 9 says about this moment. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will push those who do not know God, punish those, excuse me, who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and get this, and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. All that we've just talked about, his majesty, his beauty, his power, every bit of that, they will be shut out of. They will completely miss the experience of that. Revelation 19, 14, and the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on horses. Who are the armies of heaven? 
arrayed in fine linen? We'll look at Revelation 19, 7 through 8. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. That is referring to us. That's you. That's me. That's those of us who have been raptured with the church because we were in a redemptive relationship with Christ. And we are going to be coming with King Jesus and, of course, with his heavenly host. We will not be engaging in battle. We will be a witness to his greatness and everything that he does. He doesn't need us to raise a finger. He's got everything covered because we will simply have a ringside view of everything that's going on. In Jude chapter 1, 14 through 16, it puts it this way. It was also about these, things we're talking about, that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy one to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain ad advantage. I want you to get the picture here because it talks about Enoch pro prophesying. The, he's the seventh from Adam. So can you, can you see how long what we've been studying here has been in the works? Do you realize how long this has been in the plans? All the way back to Enoch in the fifth chapter of Genesis. It all started, creation, with this in mind. It's all been a part of God's creative plan. This is part of the drama of redemption being played out here on the earth. It is something that was prophesied long ago, and you can be certain that it will happen just as it is written. He is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones. He is coming to judge the world and everyone in it. Revelation 19 15 and 16 says, From his mouth comes a sharp sword to which to strike down the nations. The symbolism, I believe, here is by his word. By his word, he will execute judgment, just like his word created, brought all of creation into existence. The scripture continues, And he will rule them with a rod of iron. That statement is very interesting to me because when he returns... Those who are alive, those who are on this earth, who have survived the judgments that we have spoken about last week, even after everything that they have seen, after everything that they have experienced, they will still not want King Jesus to rule and reign. But he will reign. The Bible says that he will reign on this earth for a thousand years. That scripture continues. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And then John follows with these words in Revelation 19, 17, and 18. And I saw an angel standing in the sun. He's standing in the brightness of King Jesus, who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, Come, gather together 
for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, the, and the mighty, of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, great and small. As this battle is about to happen, the angel tells the birds of the air, come and feast. So you've assembled together all of these armies of the world at Armageddon. They have assembled not just by the will of man, but many have been deceived by demonic spirits. And along with them will be the Antichrist and the false prophet. And this is their last stand. And you can be certain that Satan himself is watching on. In Revelation 19, 19 through 21, it says this, Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and his army. That's Jesus. But the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who had performed the signs on its behalf. With these signs, he had deluded those who had re received the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest were killed and the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all the birds gorge themselves on their flesh. This great army is totally decimated. Everyone is destroyed, and it will be millions of soldiers, and the birds in the air will swoop down, and they will feed on the remains of all of those dead men, just as the angel called them to do. Let's go to Mark 13, 27. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Who is that? The elect. It's those who gave their life to Christ after the rapture. It's like I told you in weeks before, they will realize that he is Lord and what he said is true. And they will realize that they're on the wrong side of this and they will remember sermons preached like this one. And they will remember times when you shared your faith with them. And they will remember when they saw a sermon on television that maybe even they laughed at one time. And they will seek out Christ and they will find him. They refuse the mark of the beast. They refuse to worship the Antichrist. And you know, I just have to say, as I told you earlier, these people have endured an almost impossible moment of time. It would be what I would call hell on earth. And, I, and I'll just say it again. If you're one of those people who believes, well, if I don't make the rapture, then I'll, I'll be one of those. Let me tell you something. Very few, I believe, are going to make this because everything will be stacked against you. You will not be able to buy or sell. You won't be able to eat. You will be marked because you will not have the mark. They will know who you are. You will be killed for your faith, and that's good because if you stay faithful to God, he will be faithful to you. But it's going to be the hardest time, so don't default and say, well, that's going to be one of me. If you think it's hard to live for Jesus today, you will not even be able to fathom what it will be like then. But these people found Jesus. They refused to worship the beast. And now he gathers them from the four corners of the world. And they will repopulate the earth during this millennial reign, as well as those who died during the tribulation, but who had first received salvation in Christ Jesus and stayed faithful to him. Revelation 20, verse 4, tells us about them. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or its image, 
and had not received its mark on their foreheads or on their hands, they came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. And so at this point, after Jesus goes out and gathers his elect, he reigns. He reigns, praise God. Scott, will you come forward and help me to close this thing down? Most of what I have just shared with you is a dramatic account from the lips of the Lord Jesus as he testifies and brings revelation to the Apostle John that is written in the book of Revelation. And I think I've said this every week, but it's worth saying again, that there is no one who completely understands all of the details of, of the scriptures, what everything that I've just read to you means. I've never been dogmatic in anything that I've told you. I've, there's been speculation. They've told you theologians believe this and do whatever. But the truth is, none of us know exactly how this is going to play out in terms of what all of these descriptive things mean. But you know what? He gives us just enough information. He gives us what we need to make sound decisions today, which will in turn allow us to make a sound decision for our future. He doesn't tell us everything, but he tells us enough. Because as I've been saying all along, he is faithful to his word. Now there are, others, there are other things remaining in the book of Revelation that follow, like the thousand year millennial reign that you've heard me mention many, many times where Jesus will reign as king over Israel, over all the nations of the world. There's the judgment of, of Satan, there's the judgment of the dead. There's the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem. These all take place under the reign of Christ Jesus. And it does not involve you or me being ready for his return. And I say that because that's been the focus of this series for me personally, to make sure that you are sure that you're ready and you have an understanding of what you need to be ready for. And I hope I've done my job well enough for you to, in fact, understand and to be ready. But I also hope and have prayed that this series has helped you to understand that when I say that God has a plan, that it's not just empty words, but it is really true. He does have a plan, and it's been on the books forever. And any real fear that you might have regarding where our world is heading or the lack of godlessness, or the, the amount of godlessness, excuse me, that you see within our world and our world leaders, when you look at the perverted lack of value for human life in our day and age, when you look at the tide of, of public opinion that now looks at the Christian church as an enemy of progress, because they say we discriminate against things that they say are right, which we know are immoral. When you look at the insane laws that are being passed, that are getting closer, to, closer and closer to forcing people of faith to condone sin. All of these things that you wonder about and all of these things that you maybe even fear about, you have to understand that God is going to correct it all. He has a plan. And as even in our lifetime, if we, as we have seen some biblical prophecies fulfilled, understand that every bit of what I have shared with you over the past five weeks will take place 
They will come to pass. And those who are in Christ Jesus, you need not fear. Oh, I think it's normal for us to be saddened by what we see when we see our great country in decline, but we need, we need not fear because God is in control and we will be in his presence for all eternity in a place that I couldn't even describe to you. Even if I was given a revelation like John had received from Jesus and I tried to write it all down, it will be so incredibly awesome that you'll have to pinch yourself just to make sure that you're not dreaming and you will offer praise and you will offer thanksgiving to the one who came to bring you eternal life. And you will never for one second question why it was that you ever chose to follow Jesus Christ in the first place. Will you all please stand to your feet as we close this service in prayer. I'm going to end this like I have every week in this series by asking you, are you ready? Are you ready for the rapture of the church? Are you ready to be taken from this earth to the heavenly realms? As you can see, you have to be. You must be. The stakes are just too high for you not to be. And how about your loved ones? Are they ready? Are you telling them of God's goodness? I'm gonna to pray to close this service in prayer like we always do, but I don't want you to listen to my prayer. I want you to pray yourself. And if you're here today, or if you're watching online and you've never asked Jesus into your heart to be your Lord and Savior, it's the greatest gift he could ever give you. The Bible says to be saved, you must believe and confess. You must believe that Jesus came, that he's the Son of God. He's the only way to God the Father. And what he suffered on the cross and the blood that he shed is what atones. It's when we sing about the blood of Jesus, that's what we're talking about. It's his shed blood that covers, it atones, it wipes away your and my sin. We just have to ask him, Father, forgive me for my sin. And he will. He will cleanse you, the scriptures say, of all unrighteousness. And you will become a follower of Jesus Christ. You'll begin a new life. You'll be given a second chance. Just have the courage to ask him. You do not want to be on the wrong side of this when it comes. And as I said, this could happen at literally any moment. And if you are here today and you are already a believer and maybe you've served the Lord your entire life, I believe he is asking all of us to pick up the pace. I believe that he's asking all of us to look deeply at our family and our friends and those who we love and those who we care about, those who we work with, those who we have close relationships with that would give us a lending ear if we were to speak. And I believe he wants us to open our mouths. I believe he wants us to share the goodness of God with them. They may not receive it, but you've done, you've been obedient. But I will tell you, you planted a seed and someone may water that seed down the road and then you will have played a part in them receiving salvation. So as we pray, while those who don't know Jesus are praying for salvation, I want you to pray as I've asked you to pray for the last five weeks. And if you're not praying this, something's wrong with you. God would ask this of you. If you don't have the desire, if you don't have the willingness, if you feel like this is an impossibility for you, then you need strength from God to help you do what he's asking you to do. Don't just sit on your hands and just say, this is beyond me. It is not beyond you. You have the Holy Spirit that indwells you, and the scriptures already tell us that when we share our faith with someone, 
It is not us speaking. It is God giving us the words to speak. So when you're fearful that you're going to say the wrong thing, don't fear. You will say the right thing. Things will come out of your mouth that you won't even believe that you knew. But you heard it once, and God brought it to your remembrance, and you spoke it. Pray that the Lord would give you a desire in these remaining years, maybe days for all we know that we have left, to pull someone out of the fire. As I've said a thousand times, we shouldn't just go to heaven. We should be going to heaven and taking at least one with us. Every one of us should have a disciple. Every one of us should have some person that we've led to Christ. The truth is, our Lord would want that we have many that we led to Christ. But no one should go without leading at least one. You have the ability to do that. The Holy Spirit will give you the power to do it. Let's close our eyes and pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it does not contradict and that whether Old Testament or New Testament, it always puts our focus on Jesus, the coming Messiah, the one who came to save us and redeem us. It is amazing to me that hundreds and hundreds of years before it happened, it was written about. It was prophetic and it has been fulfilled and more is being fulfilled every day. So God, I pray that as a people, as a church, that we would find ourselves ready personally, but that we would also fight for the souls of those who are not. That we would no longer be satisfied that, great, me and my family are gonna go to heaven, but as for the rest, uh, I'm sorry. God, give us a love for those who are lost. Give us a love for those who, who are gonna go to hell if we don't open our mouth if we don't invite them to church, if we don't invite them over for dinner, if we don't do the things that, that we naturally do to try to build relationships and to get to know people and to tell them who we are and what we're all about. Father, for those who are here online who do not know you, I pray that they would have the courage to pray a simple prayer of salvation, that they believe in you, that they believe you came and died for them, Jesus, and that your blood covers their sin and they would ask you for forgiveness of sin and they would come to know you in a personal way. And for those who already know you, Father, that we would pray, Lord, let your light shine through me in such a deep and a strong way that people will notice it. And I won't even have to look for opportunities to share because people are gonna to come to me and say, what is it that is different about you? And then all we have to say, well, let me tell you about the love of my Lord. It's the way it works. Lord, open our mouths to share your goodness. Give us all a desire, a passion for lost souls. So Holy Spirit, as we go our separate ways today, I pray that you will go with us, guide and direct our steps, the places we go, the things we do, the conversations that we have. Let them be conversations that build up and not tear down. Let our light shine brightly in this very dark world. Let people see and sense your spirit within us to the point where they'll ask, what is different? And let us not be afraid to walk through those doors of opportunity that you open for us for fear that we'll get it wrong. But instead, let us walk in boldness knowing that you'll give us the things to say. 
and that will be a God-ordained moment and it will be a glorious moment and something that we will never forget. And then, Father, I pray that you'll make it habitual for us. We're so good at getting hooked on things and developing bad habits. I pray that, that you would create in us the good habit of always speaking your goodness to others and leading others to the cross. So, Father, until we, we gather together again, I ask that you would keep us safe. You keep us safe from COVID, from any other sicknesses and diseases that might befall us. I also ask that you'll keep us safe from any accidents that might occur, anything that would prevent us from gathering together again as a church family and worshiping you in spirit and in truth. Be with us this week, Father. Guide us, direct us, and use us as only you can. And I ask these things in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for being here. We will see you next week. God bless you.